1: Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 199. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game winning shot and missed. I failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. Michael Jordan. (coughs)
0: Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another
1: episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Taylorsound.com. One of the most complicated problems I've had in my professional career is sound. And sound mixing, sound design is generally always very expensive. But Taylor Sound has come onto the scene and has done something pretty incredible. Like so many other things you have in the world today, now you can get your sound design online. They're offering flat promotional rates for commercials, music videos, short films, and any other video content that's short form. They're very affordable, and because you are an Indie Film Hustle tribe member, we'll get 15% off your order. Just type in the word hustle in the post your brief section. That's T-A-I-L-O-R sound.com. So today on the show, we have a returning guest. His name is Joshua Caldwell. Now, His first episode, which was episode 121, is one of the most popular podcast episodes in the history of Indie Film Hustle. And I wanted to bring him back because that episode was called The Art of the $6,000 Feature Film. And he made an amazing film called The Layover for $6,000. And he really laid out how he did it and really was transparent in his entire process. But, you know, I have a lot of times I have filmmakers and, uh, you know, you hear stories of these filmmakers making a movie for six grand or five grand or ten grand, but you never hear the story about what happens afterwards. What do you do after you make that $6,000 movie? Well, today we have an opportunity to see what happened. Joshua then went on to make a $100,000 movie. So we're going to talk about today how he was able to leverage his $6,000 movie and grow to a $100,000 budget film within a year uh, or so of doing his first film and his entire journey doing that. And also now how he was able to bring all the sensibilities and techniques that he did on a $6,000 film and apply that to a $100,000 budget and how much more he was able to get as far as production value and to squeeze more juice out of his budget. So I really wanted to bring him back and and share this very unique perspective on the indie film hustle, if you will. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Joshua Caldwell. I'd like to welcome back to the show Joshua Caldwell, man. Thanks for coming back, brother. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Your last episode, uh, the the how do what did I call it? The um, the blueprint or the guide to a six thousand dollar feature film or something, yeah, like, something like that. Yeah, rethinking, rethinking, rethinking the six thousand dollar, rethinking the six thousand dollar feature film, which was uh, uh, your film, Layover, which was I found uh, awesome and, and inspiring, and I think a lot of the uh, the tribe did as well. And then uh, now you've got a new movie, and you've kind of just upped the game. So you basically took the model of a Six thousand dollar movie and just added a hundred thousand dollars to it, but stayed in the six thousand dollar spirit. Is that correct? Right.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's
1: so, right. So tell me a little bit about Negative and how did it come to be?
2: So Negative's a, a spy thriller. It's it's the story of this uh, this guy named Hollis who takes a picture of this woman. Uh, in downtown LA, thinks nothing of it, goes back to his apartment, uh, develops the film because he's a 35 millimeter type of guy. And um, next thing you know, this woman is at his door demanding the film, demanding the negative and um, takes it by force. And before they can escape or before she can leave, uh, men with guns show up and uh, she's forced to take Hollis with her on the run. As you discover that she's basically a former she's, she's now a former British spy who's being chased by the, uh, one of the Mexican cartels. And, uh, for reasons that become clear in the film. And, um, so it was this just kind of really fun, you know, spy thriller road movie, um, that I'd wanted to make. And and it was, so it was born out of this idea I had in college, which was, um, you know, I was going to make, I wanted to make a short about a guy who goes into central park. He takes a bunch of pictures with his, you know, a, a, a still a 35 millimeter camera mm-hmm. and um, goes and gets them that the one hour develop, you know, one hour photo development and, and uh, takes them out and he finds a photo.
1: You're dating yourself. So, <laughs> I know. Totally. Right. <laughs> right.
2: Um, which is weird because I don't feel that old. But, I know. Uh, me, yeah.
1: Same here. It's, it's, things have moved very quickly, sir.
2: <laughs> very quickly. And so anyway, so now you know why, like you couldn't make this movie today. But um, anyway, the idea was he finds one of the photos and it's just a photo of this woman like staring at him. Mm-hmm. Like through the through the picture. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. No idea where it goes. Mm. Never could figure it out. And um, you know, a couple years ago I met this young writer, Adam Gaines, who um he reached out to me about being on a podcast I was doing to talk about this like book that he was writing. And I read some of his stuff and I really, really liked it. And he had just a, such a great ear for dialogue. I mean, he had a real like Sorkinesque quality to to mm-hmm. his writing. Mm-hmm. And I said, we should do something together. And a couple of months passed, a couple, you know, didn't find anything. But basically, I was like, you know, I've got this random idea. It's the story of this guy who takes a picture of this woman. And I was like, maybe it could be a spy thriller. You know, maybe it could be like he shouldn't have taken this picture of the woman and shit happens. I don't know what else happens, right? Mm-hmm. And I go, but it might be a cool short. And I've got these two actors, Katya Winter, Simon Quarterman, who I'm attached to do this other movie with. And I was thinking like just as an exercise, it'd just be fun to do a short, right? Just to like get our, you know, get our feet wet and try something out. Mm-hmm. He said, All right, let me work on it. So he wrote basically the first ten minutes of the movie.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then scheduling didn't work out for whatever reason, but basically I told him, Well, listen, like if we're gonna go to all this effort to make a short, and this was definitely post layover. So it was mm-hmm. like, if we're gonna go to all this effort to make a short, why don't we just make a feature?
1: Like a- we already had amen. the actors. Amen. <laughs> and he was
2: like Okay, sure. So then he went away and started writing, and I went away and did uh, a series for Hulu called South Beach. Mm -hmm. And then I did another movie called uh, Be Somebody for Studio 71 and Paramount. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he came back with the script, and then we basically, I was like, all right, um, let's make this our next movie. But I want to do it in a very specific way, Mm -hmm. and I want to do it for very little money.
1: Very cool. And now how did you get the money? Because it's a $100,000 budget. Yeah.
2: So it was, um, it basically, I went to a company called Mar Vista
1: mm-hmm. who are
2: known for doing, um, I mean their bread and butter is doing lifetime movies, but they've re- really started putting their attention and focus on doing some of these under million dollar, really different, you know, exciting, unique, uh, edgy type of films. Mm-hmm. And I had a relationship over there because of layover and mm-hmm. they were interested in doing something with me and we was ha- having trouble finding the right thing. And I came in with negative and they were like, we don't know. And I said, well, I only want hundred thousand dollars to do it, and they were like, "Oh, okay, well, we could probably do that." And I said, <laughs> "But the caveat is that I kind of I would like you to leave me alone, and I want to go away and make this from a production standpoint in a in a very specific way. I don't want to I don't want to be dictated to in terms of how I set up the production of this." Mm-hmm. I said, "That's fine. Just come back to us with a movie," mm-hmm. and um, and so that's what we did. And this was born out of. Uh, this was born out of the other two projects I had done. And what had happened was in making layover, because we were lighting very little using natural light. Um, we were a very small crew. There was like just a ton of freedom and there was a ton of time, right? We'd Mm -hmm. show up to location. We'd put a China ball up. We'd start shooting. We'd shoot for eight hours. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't light be lighting for four hours and shooting for four. We we'd shoot for four hours or eight hours. And we would just get a lot of takes and a lot of material. We got to Mm -hmm. try things and discover things. And it was just a really great way to make a film. And then I went and did these two other projects, which um, had much bigger budgets. I mean, you know, 150 times the budget of, of Layover. <laughs>
3: right. And
2: yet I feel I felt significantly more constricted because I was I was told, well, you only have, you know, in the case of, of the Hulu series, I only had 15 days to shoot 150 pages of material.
3: Mm-hmm. In
2: the case of the other movie, I had 12 days to shoot an eighty page script. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, what happens is um, when you started getting into these under million dollar, million dollar, one point five million dollar scenarios, what everyone is doing is they're taking the sort of traditional production model that they right. know and love right. that right. that you have on a ten million dollar movie, and they're scaling it down to your million dollar movie. But what happens is what what you don't lose are the trailers what you don't lose are the crew what you don't lose are the equipment and the all this stuff right Mm -hmm. what you lose are your shooting days Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: your shooting days and time is everything in making a movie as we as we know Mm -hmm. and i just realized very quickly that when we were spending so long lighting so long moving so long going from place to place trying to do so much in one day that it just wasn't conducive to getting really really great material you Mm -hmm. know you just feel like you're a bit in a factory and you're doing the best you can and you're working within those constraints, which can be eye-opening and a learning, you know, learning experience for sure. And people are certainly capable of it. You hear all the stories about oh, I shot my movie in ten days. It's like that's yeah. great. You know, and people can do that. I really struggle with it because I really like having time with the actors and to get the best that we can get. And I'm not yet in a position of working with, you know, those actors that can come in. I mean, Katya and Simon are different, but like you know, prior to negative, it was sort of like, you know, some, some people struggled with like only having three takes. You needed more time with them Mm -hmm. just to get great stuff. And it's not their fault. Like it's nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. You just, you really wanted to spend time playing Mm -hmm. and trying things and letting them explore it instead of being like, you just got to say these lines and you got to do it a couple different times and we got to go. You know, I just, I I felt like I was betraying them, the actors in a way.
1: Sure.
2: Sure. And, um, I just didn't feel great about the work that I had done. And so when I came to doing negative, I was very specific in saying, we're gonna do this a very different way. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna take away the things that I don't think we're gonna need. I'm gonna take away the crew, I'm gonna take away the trailers, I'm gonna take away all the trucks full of equipment, I'm gonna take away all the stuff. And instead, I'm gonna give us time. So in the case of negative, mm-hmm. for only a hundred thousand dollars, by the way, that that includes posts. So mm-hmm. it was about a seventy five thousand dollar production budget. Mm-hmm. We shot for thirty eight days
1: over six months over six months. how did that work so like did you just like on weekends <laughs> i mean how did you do it so we just
2: um we just sort of uh, did it when we had the time like it wasn't so much we had the time because we had a deadline when we had to deliver the movie but mm-hmm. we basically so prior in the fall of 2015 we started shooting we started shooting we hadn't yet gotten the money we hadn't closed the deal with marvista but i was like we gotta start because mm-hmm. i have this other thing i gotta do so like i'm gonna start shooting all the things that aren't going to cost us anything. So I'm going to shoot the opening chase scene where we're downtown LA and we don't have permits and we don't have all the stuff. I'm going to do all the stuff that I know is it going to cost us any money to do, or is it going to cost us so little that I can like gap finance it. Mm. Um, so we did like, you know, we go, okay, let's do a couple days stretch and then we'll take a break and then mm-hmm. we'll do a couple day days stretch, take a break. Mm-hmm. And then in January we came back and we did like all the motel stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and then we took a break and then we did all the, and then we, so we'd sort of like we do these like week long production gaps or Mm -hmm. production schedules. Mm -hmm. And then in between we'd pick off days here
3: Mm -hmm. and there. Mm -hmm.
2: So like we'd go up and do a lot of the driving stuff, which driving takes forever. If you're trying to do it on a, on a really tight schedule, it's Mm -hmm. just like, it takes time. So it's like, Oh, we'll just do that on those days when we don't have anything else to do. And it was basically like the, you know, our crew was uh, essentially myself, our, our producer, will, um, Borthwick, the two actors, and a sound guy for the most part. And that was it. Um, if we were shooting nighttime or we were doing sort of, sort of bigger scenes, we'd, we'd scale up and we'd bring on a gaffer or we'd bring on you know, um, uh, makeup or something like that. But for the most part, we kept the crew really light. So like, all the people going out, I mean, we weren't really paying ourselves. So like, everyone going out was basically we paid a sound guy. And that was our, that was our cost for the day. Because
1: you own the gear already.
2: You own the gear, the car was mine, the actors, you know, we already bought the wardrobe. So like we weren't renting it. And so a lot of those days were like $100 days, you know, or $200 days. And then we do the other stuff where we're going out and getting a house in Palm Springs and airbnb it and, you know, and yeah, then you th- scale up. And those are the $5,000
1: so that So that was another question I wanted to ask you about Airbnb. Do you actually just Airbnb a house and then just go shoot?
2: We did, but in this case, we, uh, we did get permission
1: from okay. the owner. Now do you, and, um, and you have you done that before? You just Airbnb and then just shoot? Yes. <laughs> and now what's the what's the issue if you do that uh, from a, a distribution issue because all of a sudden you Airbnb a house, you shoot it and then, you know, a year later the owner sees his house on a movie, is that a problem? Is that it, an issue?
2: It it can be. I would suggest talking to a lawyer about it. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, really what it does, it comes down to a situation where you just don't have a location agreement. So you technically didn't have permission to shoot there. Mm -hmm. It is in theory, private property. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, is the owner going to sue? He might, I don't know. Like that's where your, um, your, uh, errors and omissions insurance is supposed to come into play, Mm -hmm. but they are taking the, they taking the position that, um, you know they're taking the position that you have these agreements in hand and thus mm-hmm. are free. So, my feeling would be don't do it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, either use Airbnb to find places,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, like that's great, it's actually a great thing. And then contact the owner and say, We're interested in filming, you know, we're going to be a small crew, yeah, like that's- it's going to be four or five people, like you, you know, and then see if the, they might charge you a little bit more,
3: mm-hmm. you know.
2: In our case, our case he didn't,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um. But, you know, it's one of those things where I I, I would if you have money, mm-hmm. I would avoid trying to do it sketch in a sketchy way. <laughs> right. Um,
1: in a complete you know, guerrilla way. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, listen, on layover, we did it. You know, mm-hmm. nothing's nothing's ever come up uh, on it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we figured the movie was so small that nobody would ever notice. Right. Um, and we've, we've been right. But I would I, I can't recommend it. Sure, um, of course. But it is certainly a, a way of doing it. Now, um, n- but my feeling is most owners are cool. What they don't want. Are yeah, fifty full, people coming into the house, right.
1: and, trucks and all that stuff? Right, of course. If, but if you tell them, look, look, I'm going to shoot some stuff. It's non pornographic, <laughs> <Right, laughs> which I'm exactly. sure you, you have to tell them that. It's yeah, you tell them that it's non pornographic. And you know, we're shooting this movie, and here we are. And yeah, and if you have a little bit of a track record behind you, you can send. Look, this is my website. This is who I am. I'm a professional.
2: Right. And and you know, hop on the phone, like talk to them. Like usually they're they're cool, you know. And especially if it's a chance to make a little extra money, they just don't want the place trashed.
1: Right, that's all they care about, exactly. Yeah, uh, now I I did see some scenes in the movie that you actually shot in uh in that um that Mexico. Oh god, what's that little not a little Mexico, but that place downtown. What is it called? Oh yeah, the
2: the uh well, there's there's the Chinese market and downtown the, in Chinatown and then there's the uh yeah, what's it's a square, I forget. What yeah,
1: the, it is. the Mexican square. Yeah, it's run right off right across the street from um the uh the train station. Union station. Yep. Union station, right? So, I you know, I've been there. I've been to both those locations and when I saw it pop up, I'm like, son of a bitch shot there. <laughs> and I'm like, how did he I'm like and then I'm like, oh, he must have gone there early morning and got some stuff, but then I saw you going inside like where there's other people, other things. And and obviously you don't have you don't have any permits because that's not cheap, uh, right? Especially in L.A. That's what I find your work so amazing, uh, it, from uh, from another L.A. perspective because I know how difficult it is. It, this is not you know you know this is not Wyoming, like you, you right. it, the, the, Everyone's very savvy here, uh, but if you keep a low profile, I'm just curious. How did you? finagle that how did you shoot in the in the mexican square and also in chinatown and like you even went behind the scenes some places and you know walked yeah. so how did you do uh, that so
2: you just have to be it's the same way we did a lot of stuff on layover you just have you have to kind of scout everything mm-hmm. and have an idea of what you're up against right mm-hmm. and so in the case of like the little square the mexican square we went up there and we had like um you know, so we sh- so the first thing we did was we shot on the we shot this pretty much the whole movie on the Canon C100 Mark II, mm-hmm. um, and and I had basically the Canon camera, a lens, and a Shogun recorder because um, so in addition to directing this, I also DP'd it right, um, and you know I was I had decided to shoot with a LUT uh, as an overlay. And so with the recorder, I was able to see sort of what approximately what the final image was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, because the light I was using really crushed blacks and I just, I, I couldn't do it on the fly. Like I had to know what I was getting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but that said, it was still a very small compact package mm-hmm. where like, if somebody was standing in front of me, you'd never see the camera.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So we had that going for us. So the ability to sort of run around LA and just kind of like pick stuff off, mm-hmm. um, you know, was, was, key because we were moving so quickly that nobody had time to even pay attention to us and we had such a small camera and we did not have any boom guys or anything like that that like you know you could help but right. you did draw attention to it yeah exactly in the case of the square we actually went there and we we didn't we didn't know that you had to have a permit we assumed it was just public space <laughs> which it might be it might not be i'm <laughs> not
1: sure it's not
2: <laughs> i've looked so into we it. right so we basically said okay well this is what we need so let's just kind of like put the tripod down. And it was me, the tripod camera producer and the two actors. Mm -hmm. And we started rolling. And then, um, a guy came up, security guard came up and he was like, Oh, you need to get a permit. Oh, we didn't know that. We're sorry. Hang on. Like my producer, why don't you go find out what's going on? So like he went, he's like, yeah, you gotta go talk to this guy. So I was like, all right, well, we'll just stay here and you go do that. So like he basically, our producer went away to find out what the deal was with getting a permit. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, we just kept shooting.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I just kept saying like, just keep doing it. Literally, just walk and then go back. Like, you know, you have to be, you have to have communication with your actors. You have to say like, you just need to keep repeating it. I will shoot it, but just keep doing. When you get to the end, turn around, walk back, and do it again,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I'll get all the coverage of it. You know, mm-hmm. and by the time he came back and he said, well, yeah, normally you need a permit. Like, oh, we're sorry, we didn't know. We're just like film students, like fucking around. We don't really like, you know, we apologize. We're just doing some tests. You know, just whatever the sort of BS answer is, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then and then you walk away and you've got your footage um, in the Chinese market. We just kind of walked through it and shot as we went and nobody really paid attention to us. And we, um, you know, just sort of shot these pieces that I then cut together later now into this into this chase.
1: Now, with that, how do you deal with other people's faces and stuff like that?
2: You just uh, you either cut it out, or you just stay so blurry and so movement based that you know you just kind of get away with it.
1: Got it? Because yeah, that's a, always a concern if you're shooting in a public place. You got to get permission from people you're putting yeah, on.
2: Yeah, I mean that's what we did with layover. Was you know we basically just I I tried to keep it so that you didn't ever really see people's faces, or I just cut it out. Mm-hmm. You know, so like if you see people's faces, we had permission from them. If, if you don't, then we didn't. Um, and
1: same thing for um, negative.
2: Same thing for negative. Yeah.
1: Okay. So if we see so – yeah, because I saw some guy walk behind you with some iPod and he looked directly into the camera. I'm like, I wonder if they got permission for that. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it not. It depends.
2: If you're in a public area, it's different.
1: Oh, okay. So if you're in a public you know, area, you're –
2: you're If you're in a, a – public well, I, yeah, again, all these things are like a little – Sketchy. Right? Yes, like, yes, if yes. You're, like if you're in a public area, like you know, filming on a public street and you're like a small crew, usually you can get away with stuff. And like people assume that by being in a public area, you're being photographed. Like it's just – it's just something that that you deal with. Again, I'm not a lawyer. I sure sure sure. Like, sure, sure, sure. Like you know, consult all this. But in our in our case, we just again, what we tried to do was remove obstacles that would put us in a position of, of not being able to make the movie. You know, got it. And so in this case, it was like, let's just go for it. You know, if we end up having to blur his face, fine, we'll blur his face. Like big right. deal.
1: Exactly. Um, or, you, or you recrop it or something like that to just yeah, yeah.
2: you know exactly. Um, you know, in the ter- terms of places that were like more private, we tried to avoid it if we could. Um, but if we couldn't, then we just hope that like, you know, they're probably not going to see the movie anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> now, um, how did you light scenes? Because, uh, you know, you move very quickly. And I'm assuming when you're out there and, you know, uh, you know, shooting without a lot with allow, allow permits and things like that, you're not really lighting anything. So how did you light scenes that you were have? You did have some control over.
2: So we basically just used very small sources. We had a small lighting kit of, like, Kino's, one-by-one uh, one light panels. Um, you know, we, we would get uh, – we'd scale up and get a lighting package of, like, you know, some ARI 650s and and things like that. Um, but the goal the goal for a lot of it, especially – so pretty much during the daytime, we didn't we didn't light. We just used natural light. Mm-hmm. Um, for any of the nighttime stuff, what we tried to really do, what I tried to really do was step into – Step into a location and say, because I usually would pick the locations for how they looked. Right, I, mm-hmm. we didn't go into any place where we're like we're redressing everything because we mm-hmm. didn't have a production designer. Mm-hmm. So, like for the motel, in the case of the motel, right, like the motel we owned, like we went in there and we got permission and we owned the entire motel during our during our shoot. But what we didn't do was go get a permit to do it, right. You know, because we're up in the middle of the desert. Like, yeah, nobody's paying attention. No one's like, gonna, and we're a small crew. We don't again, we don't have trucks. We don't have a big footprint. Mm-hmm. So nobody knows. No if you drove by the motel, you'd have no idea that anybody was shooting there. Right, right. So what we would do is literally just try and and make use of what exist what existed, you know, like what was already there. And then what I did, and this was one of the reasons I also decided to DP it mm-hmm. was one of the reasons why um One of the things that I was always frustrated by was certain DPs, and I love the DPs I've worked with, but still, is that they have a a knack for refusing to shoot above 3200 ISO, right? (laughs) even on cameras that you know can handle it. sure. And I had a belief that we could push, certainly the Canon cameras, that Mm -hmm. we could push them far beyond 3200 ISO and still be okay. Mm -hmm. And what that was going to get us back was time. Mm-hmm. Because it was less time lighting, it was less time having to have a crew stand around doing stuff. So I would go into locations and I would say, okay, like it's a little dim. At what ISO does this, as it is, look work for exposure levels?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I, so then I'd set it. If it was like you know fifteen thousand ISO, I'd be like, all right, no, we can't do that. But if mm-hmm. it was five sixty four, mm-hmm. I would I would do that. And then I'd say, what need, do what do we need to add? So, I tried to basically make use of what already existed in the space. And then we did either enhance it or take it away, depending on what the scene called for. Mm-hmm. But it was using a lot of practical lighting, a lot of existing lighting. And then, you know, in and, certain and cases, when, just when, enhancing it.
1: Now, when you're saying practical lighting, are you adding photo, like, are you adding like photo bulbs in it, you know, color temperature, you know, corrected bulbs? Or are you just using whatever bulbs are in the house?
2: uh well we brought our own bulbs because you know you just don't know what works but um you know for the most part you're using what's there so in the case of like the house uh that that they get to rodney's house Mm -hmm. that was all just whatever was there you know and then we would bring in a light or two just to help fill in or or take care of whatever was there and um you know in the case of like the motel it was like oh let's we have a lamp here like we'll just We'll just take the bulb out of here and we'll put in a bulb that we know is going to be consistent and work okay
3: mm-hmm. for
2: our purposes but you know with with when you're shooting at a high ISO you don't need that you don't have to go back to the 250 watt bulbs anymore no you no. know you can put in the sixty watts and the forty watts
1: mm-hmm. and
2: be completely okay and so um it was really trying to just be as fast as possible so I'd say like in most cases we had you know a couple of lights mm-hmm. just helping to fill stuff in
1: okay so like a lot of china balls. A lot
2: of, not even a lot of China balls. Like I, I actually kind of like, uh, some harder sources. So we found ourselves taking some like six fifties and punching them through a window,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know? Um, and also lighting a space. Like it was very, it's always very important to me that we try and light as much of the space as we can, as opposed to right. lighting That's the action. actors on a mark. Right. Because I just, I don't like confining my actors to a mark.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: I like that. I like to light a bigger space and let them move within it. hmm and have the freedom to explore and try things. And then sometimes you're like okay you got to basically stand here. Right. But other times I try to be very open to it. So it was it was trying to use practical lighting, it was shooting at high ISOs mm-hmm. and it was just trying cuz I just I I love for me personally I love realism. I love having something be as gritty and as realistic as 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 it can and so that means mixing color temps, that means having imperfect lighting, that means having shadows, that means you know, having all this stuff that normally you try and get rid of, because I find when you get rid of all that stuff, there's just an artificiality in my own work that I don't like. Right. Which is, I like feeling like we're there, you know, and that means shooting more handheld, shooting grittier, darker, using things that are messy. I just like messiness in, mm-hmm. in my own work.
1: Now, with, with you, you basically handheld a lot of the movie yourself? Yeah, I
2: operated the whole movie.
1: Okay. So then you were just holding... Basically, just holding the camera. Did you have a handheld rig? How did you actually do it?
2: It it, it depended. So, if we were doing stuff on the down low, uh, mm-hmm. it would just be the stripped down version of the camera, no map box, like nothing like that. It was basically the lens, and I used the I would use the twenty four to one hundred five lens because I could use the autofocus capabilities of the C one hundred Mark two. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to worry about pulling focus. Um, so, in that case, it was that. In other cases where we were under control or weren't worried about. Um, you know, somebody seeing the camera, I have a, a handheld rig, shoulder rig that mm-hmm. I, I build up with follow focus, map box, like the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'd usually operate off of that. And then occasionally we did some stuff on sticks. Um, you know, and then I did one scene with Steadicam, which, um, I didn't ever do again, but,
1: uh, <laughs> now with Steadicam or with a, a gimbal or
2: with, sorry, with a, gl- well, it was with a glide cam okay. that I, that I operated. Um, but it just, it it just was like much harder than I thought. it. I mean, I've done it, but Mm -hmm. it was harder on this than I thought it was going to be. And I'm like, I'm just going to handhold this for the rest of the time.
1: Got it. Got it. Now, how did you record audio? Which I know is a big thing. I know sometimes when you're out on the street, I I noticed that most of that stuff is MOS or, or Nat sound.
2: Right. So, you know, we would either just go MOS, Mm -hmm. you know, and know that what my sound designers would fill it in later. Mm -hmm. Um, or, we would have them labbed and then it would be lo- going to a like H4N recorder that I would carry in a bag with me. So mm-hmm. like the scene where they walk through union station, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's a dialogue scene there. That was that they were already labbed and they basically just did. I just told them as soon as we get in that great hall, you got to do your lines. So no, and uh, just how, do them once.
1: How was it shooting at union? Did they get any shit?
2: Oh no, because all, literally what you see in the movie is the one take that we did.
1: You just like, walk. You're just walking. We just
2: walked. Yeah. We basically, the route that they take where they get on the train in Chinatown, mm-hmm. they ride the train, they get off in Union Station, they get out, they walk through the tunnel, they walk through the Great Hall and then walk outside. Like that was literally me just filming the entire time. Like we just did the route and then I just recorded it and then no, I knew I was just going to cut it up.
3: Right, of course. But I just
2: kept the camera rolling to keep all this stuff and get all this great, you know, all this great material and then we added stuff like the drone shots of the subway and things like that or right. the metro. And so, um so in that case, like, no, I was just like, listen, when we get into Union Station, you got to do your dialogue lines. They're like, okay. And we had them labbed and we got what we got. And I knew, okay, I'll stay on their back. So like, if we have to, we'll ADR it, you know, like I'll, I could add it in later. Um, so we do something like that. And then in other cases where we were under control or we weren't worried about anybody coming and, you know, getting pissed at us or mm-hmm, finding mm-hmm. us, we basically ha- we hired a sound guy to come out and actually right. lab them correctly and boom it and mm-hmm. do all that
1: stuff. Now, did you, and did you actually just drop the recorders like in their pocket? While they're walking or was it all wireless?
2: It was wireless and then, uh, wireless labs out to the recorder, which was in my bag. And I was like always right behind them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they just had the labs sort of tucked in their pocket.
1: God, that's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you're just, you're just hiding it. You know, you are just, they're just always mic'd, and yeah. you're just like, you're subversively like, okay guys, I just need to clap. Like just do a clap really quick, you know? And like whatever. And, was- and uh, I was, but I, again, it's like you get you just get you just get like, you're listen. You're taking a risk. I understand that. But like in low budget, I'm like, why not? Like, what do you have to lose? Like, you have to go reshoot the scene somewhere else. Like, all right, big deal. You right. know, like people just don't care. Ultimately, they don't care. What they don't want you to do is messing up the space, messing with customers. Like, you know, or, or be blatant they're not, they're or not, being
1: blatant about it.
2: Yeah, they're not out hunting you down after the movie's been made because, like, frankly, they don't know. Do they know? Like. There was a movie, Negative, that shot in a parking garage, and they had permission or not had permission? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, are there records of that? No. Like, I mean, there might be permit records, but I can't imagine they're totally complete, Mm -hmm. you know? And I can't imagine that somebody's full-time job is going and watching movies and saying, did we permit that scene?
1: Right. Yeah, no one one ever – yeah, that never happens.
2: And also, frankly, like, you know, what I've learned is with a permit, a permit just gives you the right to be there at that moment. Mm Mm-hmm it's not a binding contract. Like, you know, you have to have a location agreement. If it's a public thing, you can get away with it. You know, if it's not a public thing, like, like the house. might track you down, they might not track you down. But again, it's like, do you want to make your movie or not? You know, like, amen. No, I mean, it's like, To me, it's like the whole old the old Werner Herzog thing of like you know learn to forge.
1: Yeah, like he he used to forge uh, his permit. Like yeah, he's like a a a permit or something like that. He forged literally, and he had like a military general in front of him or something. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, and so to me, really, what this is, and you know, it sort of depends. You know, whatever your uh, ultimate opinion of the movie, Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm also trying to do is just provide a. a, a, I'm sort of taking the lead on a different way of doing things that sort of creates gets away from this idea of like, if you don't have money, you can't make something with scope. Yes. You know? Um, and a lot of that involves breaking rules. And like, you know what? Let's just do it.
1: You know? Like no,
2: they're not paying attention.
1: No, I mean, I was, I was, when I was uh, shooting a, a scene for my movie, going up to the Hollywood sign, I was deathly afraid. I was like, it was just me and a camera and my two actors. And, right. and I was, I was deathly afraid I was going to get caught. And then halfway up the hike, I'm like, there ain't nobody coming. No, you literally could bring a cam rig up there. By the time they show up, you've got the shots. Right. Exactly.
2: You know, and by the way, like it's weird because cameras nowadays are just so
1: small all over the
2: place. They're yeah. So, well, everyone is filming. Right. Everyone is filming
1: vloggers.
0: Everyone's got
2: self-filming like people. It's just everywhere. And so it's just one of those things where people just have stopped paying attention. And, you know, are you kidding me? Like you think like the bureaucracy of L.A. has somebody like really trying to find out, like if you had permission to shoot? No, exactly. That said, that said, it's frustrating that L.A. makes it so difficult. I have a buddy of mine who just did. Who just he's shooting a web series? Good friend of mine, college roommate. He lives in New York, and mm. he just shot a web series. He was in Times Square <laughs> with like a full airy rig, sound guy, whole no. deal, no, and 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 a and a guy in a mascot outfit. And I said, "How did you get away with that?" He's like, "Well, basically, New York has now said that like if you're handheld." And you're not putting any equipment down. Uh, down, you can shoot anywhere public in, in any public space. That's actually including Times Square.
1: That's actually the law in LA. I found out. Right. As long as well, you that's don't
2: why I was put, able. Yeah, that's why I was able to get away with a lot of the stuff. I got away with.
1: Right. As long as you don't put sticks down. Second, you put sticks yep. down, you're done. Then yep. Then and, they got and you. And
2: you're, you're like under a certain amount of people. Like you can't have like 20 people around you. Right. Like so if that. you're so like, like if you're three, like three four people or something.
1: Yeah. If you got two or three people with you and you're just walking around with a camera, you you can get away with a lot. And legal, oh, yeah. legally, 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 you can get yep. away with a lot. If it's, legally,
2: exactly. You know. And so, but you know, and the funny part is about my friend's experience, because you think Times Square, it's like impossible, right? It's like, right. they're not going to let you do I'm, that. I was, that's an airy rig, for God's sakes. I know. The biggest thing they got in trouble for was their mascot, who was like, you know, he was one of those like furry characters. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. You know, like the Elmos. Yeah. He was not in the space that they were supposed to be in. Like, you know, mascots that were (laughs) figures in Times Square have to be in a certain space. Right. So a cop came over and he's like, "Uh, you're not allowed to be in here. And they're like, well, we were with the camera. And he's like, no, the the furry guy, he's got to go into the green box. And so, like, basically they just (laughs) went over to the green box and they shot their movie. (laughs) Um, You know, so it's like, so L.A., yeah. So I did know that. But but even just the permitting process in L.A. is such a nightmare. We had such a nightmare for another sequence that we actually did permit. Did the shootout you? sequence. And it was just such a headache. Did you? And, and you shot, but it was out in the desert. It was out in the desert. But what happened was it was within a certain number of feet from a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. we were going to be firing blanks
1: mm-hmm. in the middle
2: of the night past a certain time,
3: mm-hmm.
1: we
2: had to go to the neighborhood and we had to go around and do what's called a survey.
1: Oh, Jesus. So you
2: have to get, it's not getting permission. It's just literally going around and saying, hey, we're going to be firing off weapons like, and dropping stuff at their door and saying, like, we just want to make you aware. Can you don't, acknowledge don't, that you've been told this?
1: And don't call and don't call the police.
2: <laughs> right. And so the funny part was, first of all, you have to go do this. And we found this out the week before we were going to be shooting. So oh. I'm driving up to this area, which is like an hour and a half outside of L.A., mm-hmm. and doing all these like surveys. And you have to have like a 60 percent response rate, right, like 60 percent of the neighborhood. Oh. Meanwhile, all these, half these homes are like derelict. Yeah. And like nobody lives there. Right. And then the other half, I'm getting them and they're like, Yeah, whatever. Like people are shooting guns up here all the time.
1: <laughs> right. Right.
2: So they don't care. And then LA goes LA film goes up and they, they put the per, the the notice of filming yeah. in yeah. everyone's boxes. Yeah. And then
1: they charge you for it. Of course they do.
2: And then we finally go to shoot and we had a sort of down the hill from where we were shooting. We were shooting up on this mountaintop that was kind of this, like it was sort of in a bowl, Mm a bit of a bowl Mm -hmm. and sort of on on the mountain that was close to the neighborhood. I mean, it was far away. It was like more than half a mile, but like the, we had an RV for actors and sort of base camp. And so as we started doing the weapons, we would, we radioed down and we're like, do you guys hear any of this? And they're like, no, (laughs) we can't hear anything. So, like, just ended up becoming this massive headache. And, you know, LA Film, you know, is just profiting. Of course they are. The the ridiculousness, the high fees. So we're just like, fuck it. Like, why even bother? Like, it's like SAG, you know, it's like, you don't have to go through them. Like, why go through them? Like, what's the incentive? Like, they're not helping you. They're not making your life easier, they're making it more difficult. And the only reason we did it was because we were doing blank fire weapons. So we just had to, we owed a responsibility towards that process. But if you were you know, shooting that we, like. That we weren't going to try and sure. But, but if you we were just, oh, we shot airsoft in the desert so
1: much. Yeah, I mean, but if you're just going to shoot like airsoft weapons that have no sound. Oh, you could,
2: you could get away with it.
1: Right, right. Like if you have a nice recoil, put some some, yeah. some VFX in and you're out the door.
2: Right. But you know what? I was like, we have money. we're No, doing, oh, yeah, we're yeah. Costs. You have $100,000. <laughs> like, yeah, you have, a, yeah. No, you're not I making... personally I personally wanted to. But a lot of the, by the way. A lot of that, a lot of the other parts of the film, aside from that shootout, those are airsoft weapons, mm-hmm. you know? So we, we went that route for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I was doing you that know,
2: when we were doing things subversively and we didn't have like time and we didn't want to hire a sheriff and we mm-hmm. didn't want to
1: hire all this. Oh so, God, Can you imagine? And you yeah. had to hire, I'm assuming you had to hire a police at that, that night or no?
2: We did We, yeah, we had to have a sheriff come out.
1: Oh
0: Jesus Christ. You know? And
2: they, they, of course, like we had to dispute with them because like, you know, they were like, well, it's this much. And then. You had to like drive back, and we're, we're just like, "But you like why? Are you, you're you're telling us you're charging us more because you couldn't find a deputy within a sixty minutes of like the location. Like, why is that our problem?
1: Mm-hmm. You know? And
2: so it's like it's just it's everybody's out with got their hand out when you start doing stuff like that, which is why movies end up costing so much.
1: Right, and then that's why filmmakers can't make money, and then they stop making movies.
2: Yeah, so it's like part of it's like you know what? Let's subvert the system a bit you know, in order to get the movie made and let's see if we get what we can get away with. If we can't get away with it. We'll put a little money into it. You know? it but you it was, um, I it just, it ends up constricting you in ways that I understand. I get it. But at the same
1: time, like, why not try to some, do something different? No, and it, you know, you, you got to have that kind of pirate attitude about it, you know? like kinda, I think so. I mean, y- for low-budget stuff. You've got to, you know? And, and that's what I love about your story with Negative is that you took that pirate attitude and, and added $100,000 – because 100, for a $100,000 movie, a $100,000 kind of action spy movie. And yeah. on top of that, though, if you would have tried to shoot this movie in the traditional standpoint with a regular crew – and regular everything you would have never made it never would have oh, made no. it never it
2: would have been way too, one it would have been too expensive
3: mm-hmm. you would have
2: had to have way more of the budget
3: mm-hmm.
2: or two it would have been the whole movie would have been in rodney's house <laughs> <laughs> right exactly you know? it, it just it just you because you end up paying for the problem is like i said going to that, back to that production model what you lose is the stuff that ends up appearing on screen you don't right. lose the stuff that's like surrounding the set Mm-hmm. You know, the trucks, the trailers, the actors have to sit in their trailer and air conditioning and all this stuff like, you know, you end up losing all the time to get the really great stuff and the scope, you know, And in this movie, like you saw, it's like a road movie. I mean, we we did the road trip. Right. It's like a couple hundred bucks to drive to Arizona and back. And meanwhile, we got all this great stuff. We got them driving into Phoenix like we were able to get all these things that like in a normal movie it would have been way too much of a pain. For somebody to figure out how to do.
1: Now, and you also had a couple actors who were really game for all of this. They're, I mean, in your experience working with actors, are they all, you know, the, that you've worked with, you know, you tell them right up about, like, look, this is what we're doing. We're doing this on the down low. We're doing this on a pirate style, guerrilla style. Are you cool with it? it oh, may, yeah, for sure. Because I mean, and they all love it. They, <laughs> they do, don't they? It. They all do love it, don't they?
2: <laughs> they love it. And so, like, you know. I mean, you know, like with with Sebastian, who plays uh, Sebastian Roche, who plays Rodney, like we're like, yeah, man, come out to Palm Springs. We'll shoot you for two days and, and then you're done. He's like, awesome. You know, and it's a fun role. Mm-hmm. It's like a role he doesn't get to play. He gets to do a fight scene, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the case of Katy and Simon. Like, I mean, they were there from the beginning. They were there before we had a script. I was attached to do another movie with them and that was taking forever. And I said, would you guys like to do something kind of like layover, which is they both seen and loved. And that's what got me attached to the other movie we were doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, which funny enough, that other movie, which a couple million dollars, like sadly didn't work out, you know, as most things do. But in the meantime, I got, I got them and I said, would you like to do a sort of layover style movie? That's this spy thriller, you know? And I told Katya, I'm like, you're going to get to play a character that you're not getting pitched for and Mm -hmm. you're not getting cast for. Mm -hmm. And with Simon, it was like you know an opportunity to 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 do a really different character to mm-hmm. work with Katya,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm like you know we're just gonna you, you guys will have ownership of the film, and we're just gonna go do it in this like really pirate way, and and like you said, and they were like totally game for it. I mean they were they were awesome, never complained, never had problems, even when they're when we're in the desert in the middle of like you know, it's 30, it's 22 degrees and freezing in January. Mm-hmm. Like they were out there like doing it and they they were loving it because what I said to them was what you're not going to have is a trailer and you're not going to have all these other things that you can get on the other shows you do. Mm-hmm. But what I'm going to give you is time. And I'm giving, give you an opportunity to really explore these characters to really like be a part of this process and to feel like you're going to leave each day feeling like, you didn't never feeling like you didn't get it,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
2: because they they came from the world of TV mm-hmm. doing stuff where like, you know, Katya on Sleepy Hollow, they do three takes and they're moving on. Right. You know, and so I said, like, we're going to we're going to take the time to do it, because what I do with with way I the way I work, everything I do with in terms of like, you know, using existing lighting, not setting marks, using a lot of handheld. What it's all designed for beyond a certain stylistic approach is what it's designed for is designed to give the actors the freedom to do really great stuff. Mm -hmm. It's to not constrict them in any way. It's all about the actors. And then I step around the actors with the camera to figure out what the best thing is for the camera to do. Mm -hmm. But it starts with the actors and the blocking and the scene and giving them freedom to move and freedom to try things. And then I capture that. That's what right. I try to do.
1: That's the rather coo- than try
2: to stage them for a camera that may not be the place that gives them the most freedom, and then they're thinking too much about it. They're like, "Am I hitting my marks? Am I doing this? Am I doing that?" And of course, there's some of that.
1: Of course, you have but to it's be, all yeah.
2: desi- it's all designed to allow actors to try and give the best performance that they possibly
1: can. And that's uh, that was the Kubrick model. You know, Kubrick yeah. did the exact same thing. He would he's, he'd never have a shot list. He would just show up on the day and go, "All right, let's work it out." And that yeah. was the other thing that he really wanted: time. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone always thought that he was this crazy man, but he wasn't. He actually just stripped it down to a what do I need? And that gives me the extra 60 days that I get to sit here and play. Exactly. Because that's what's the
2: most valuable thing is. That's what everybody's always fighting for. Right. Like everybody, you're always on a clock. Mm. And if you can just strip away some of those things like I, I don't think we ever shot a full 12 hour day on this movie. (laughs) Right. And except for the fight scene, the fight scene, because we did it all in one day. Right. Um, but I never left a day feeling like we didn't get it. Right. And I've left other projects feeling like we, we just didn't have time to really get it, you know? And I know that. And on this one, I was like, I don't want that to happen, which is why I approached it the way I did and why I only went after a hundred thousand dollars. Cause I wanted enough money to actually make it mm-hmm. like that. I knew we'd need to make it, mm-hmm. but I wanted so little that whoever gave it to me, they weren't going to be able to pay attention. You know, right. they, they weren't going to have the time to devote to maintaining it, you know, keeping an eye on a hundred thousand dollar movie.
1: Right, and and they have the confidence based on your track record and what you've done. That, right. that you'll be able to deliver.
2: Right. In fact, the funny part now is Mar Vista comes back and they go, "Man, I wish we'd given you a little bit more money." <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Like oh, not we... because we didn't have anything, but they were like, "What? What could you have done if you had an extra fifty grand or like you know something like that?"
1: Well, let's talk about the next movie then.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing.
1: Now, you you talk a little bit about SAG. Can you explain to the listeners? How you dealt with SAG because SAG can be a bit of a pain when it comes to filmmakers. You know they're wonderful for actors, but they can be a little bit uh, cut, um, a little bit tough to deal with. Uh, yeah. So what, what was how did you approach SAG in uh, in this project? So
2: I mean I've always had a great relationship with SAG in the past. Like I've always I've never really had any problems with them. I know people have, but I've never really suffered through issues except of like I made a mistake and. I didn't pay the PNH and I thought I did and like whatever, you know, and then they, then they come after you. Um, but in terms of this, I did the same thing that I did on layover, which is I went through the SAG new media agreement mm-hmm. and they are, they're obviously getting, they're sort of cracking down because obviously people are taking advantage. But basically the premise is if you're, if your film is, or project is going to premiere online, then you're allowed to go through the SAG new media agreement.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The reason why I go through it is one I don't know if this movie was ever going to get theatrical, mm-hmm. right? And it didn't. So good thing I didn't bother going through the theatrical ultra low budget agreement, right? Because
3: mm-hmm. it would have mm-hmm. been a waste of time. Mm-hmm.
2: So I go through SAG New Media because one, um, you don't have to escrow your actors' fees, your mm-hmm. actor fees. So, mm-hmm. so if you go through like ultra low budget theatrical, you have to take the same, you have to, if you have, you have to take a hundred percent of your actor fees, um, And you have to reserve it to pay your actors, and then you have to take uh, that amount again, and you have to give it to SAG. Mm -hmm. And SAG basically holds on to it to guarantee that your talent is going to get paid. You don't get that money back until you turn in all the paperwork and you've executed all the documents that SAG requires uh, in order to get that money back. On an ultra-low-budget movie, there's a ton of paperwork that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I made that mistake on on layover. I initially applied for ultra-low budget because I was like, well, what else do I do? And my buddy was like, no, do SAG New Media. So SAG New Media has very simple paperwork. It's very mm-hmm. clear. It's easy to understand. Mm-hmm. They have a situation where you can negotiate your the fees or defer the fees with the actors. Mm-hmm. Now, what I do is I don't do that. Because mm-hmm. one, we have money in the budget, so there's no reason not to pay your actors and not to pay your crew.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and what we do is we basically pay the actors the minimum required by the next contract up, which mm-hmm. is, I believe, the ultra-low budget or something like that, which is 100 or 125 a day, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So that's what we pay our actors, even though we don't have to. And we mm-hmm. do that because if the movie were to get theatrical, we don't then owe a bunch of money to actors in order to get that theatrical distribution. We basically can call SAG, we can scale up to the next agreement, and we don't have to do anything other mm-hmm. than inform SAG that we've now had a theatrical, which changes how the residuals get doled out.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The other thing is you don't have to provide proof of insurance. You don't have to provide like all these other things. It's a much simpler process to getting your movie made, and the, And if you do end up getting theatrical, well, it's a very simple process of scaling up to the next, the next uh, contract provided. Mm-hmm. That you paid the actors the minimum that that contract then requires.
1: Now, what what about uh, with the new media? Is there a residual situation there or not?
2: Uh that's a good question. I'm trying to remember if there is. Um, I don't think there is. I don't think there is, but I could be wrong. Sure, so trust my my opinion. Of yeah,
1: that. always check it um, out. Yeah,
2: yeah. This the fortunate thing is like you know with with new media. There's also minimums, like in terms of like how much you're spending per minute that's like we never got close to it's a lot of money it's a lot of money um and so you know but i found that sag has always been very helpful and i basically always start off with any project at this stage you know these types of films saying i don't know if it's going to get theatrical i'm just going to go through new media this is Mm -hmm. the project i log in you know i sign up for the project i provide the the company papers whatever they need Mm -hmm. and uh they get they basically have uh, you know give me the docs and say send it in when you're done
1: and, and I, and then you, did you have opened up a, an LLC for this company? I'm assuming. <laughs> well, yeah. on this one we did. Yeah.
2: So we opened up an LLC.
1: But with L, but layover, you did your own production company?
2: Layover. We did it through our own production company. Okay. My, my production company. Yeah.
1: Got it. Now, so, just, yeah, just for protection as far as, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's such a well, small Well, and this one,
2: re- this one, we had different ownership structures. So what I did on this was, you know, again, like myself, Adam games who wrote the movie, Mm -hmm. uh, and Simon, like, you know, we paid ourselves a little bit of money, but not a lot, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, and I knew that going in I said, this is not a, this is not a project where we're all making money. So, um, you know, just to make everything fair, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to have a fifth ownership of whatever profit participation that we get out of Mar Vista, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: you know? So whatever the money gets, that gets made by, you know, by the film will split evenly five ways. So that also made it Better for us to go through a different, you know, through, go through a unique LLC, right. um, in order to just maintain that ownership structure. But that was also one one thing we did was saying I can't pay any money, but we'll, we all
1: have equal shares. Right, and they're they're doing it because they want to do it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They're working. Actors. I always, um, yeah, Mark Polish, who's a Yo. buddy of mine, and and. um has a, we we talk every now and then. He, he his whole thing is like if an actor asks how much they're getting paid, they don't actually want to do your project.
1: <laughs> That's a very good yeah. I'm I'm, I'm friends with Michael Polish and uh, I've, okay. I, yeah, and I talked to him about his movie um for lovers only, which was yep. uh, you remember that one? Yep,
2: yep. Yeah. That, that inspired. That was an inspiration
1: for layover. Yeah, and it's an inspiration. Yeah. It was an inspiration for my movie Meg. You know, this is Meg, and and it was just like these guys just went out and to Paris. Yeah, <laughs> it just oh, shot. Yeah. An entire and they shot shot an entire movie, basically just the two of them and her. Yeah. And occasionally the sound guy would show up. I I was like, what? And they made half a million with it, Uh, which is not, which is not bad.
2: No, it's not bad at all.
0: I'd take it. Not bad at all. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Now you've got um, four, you said about four to five crew members were at the top a top end as far as production can again can you break down what those crew members were and what they did specifically so people have an idea
2: yeah so i like i said so i directed it Mm -hmm. um i dp'd it it as well and operated so Mm -hmm. that's two roles that i then took on Mm -hmm. um we'd have a producer you know will who would show up and kind of help out i mean he'd do everything from slating a scene to Mm -hmm. you know uh, wrangling things to helping light, you know, I mean, it was an all in process for all of us. Mm -hmm. And then we had a sound guy who pretty much just focused on the sound, which Mm -hmm. is all I wanted him doing. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, and that was like the core group of, of us. And Mm -hmm. then, um, I'd say that was like 60% of the time. That was, that was the crew. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and Adam would come by set and he'd help out. Um, and then when we, we scale up to sort of the next level, and that would include like having a guy who was a gaffer. So he'd come out and like basically help us light, help take on some lighting for myself mm-hmm. so I could work with the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd have a, we had our stunt guy cause we did a number of stunts. So we had um, this great, um, great stunt coordinator named Daniel Los Who's like, I mean, right now he's working with uh, Tom Cruise on mission impossible six, like <laughs> awesome, awesome dude. Um, but he was trying to get into coordinating and he's a great fight coordinator. So mm-hmm. like he ended up not only doing the fight coordination for the fight that's in the movie, mm-hmm. but he also would come out and handle help with any stunts you know that mm-hmm. we would do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then we would um, on some of the stuff later in the movie when Kati is like all beat up and mm-hmm. bruised, mm-hmm. like you know we have a makeup guy who would come you out did a
1: good job by the way The makeup looked great. great. Yeah, the
2: makeup guy was so fantastic and, and obviously did us a huge favor coming out with some and doing some of that stuff. Um, and then. Um, Let's see. And then uh, I think after that, it it was like our big shootout day where we would have an armor and we had a couple gaffers and and grips like to come out and help move
1: lights. That was a big budget day.
2: That was the big budget day, big budget weekend, rather. Yeah. And, um, but that was as big as it got. I mean, maybe 10, 15 people total on set on on the biggest days.
1: And that was, yeah, because you were doing basically a full blown action sequence.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Now, can you give any, uh, you know, tips like, go-to tips for shooting on locations without a permit that you're like, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this.
2: Um, yeah. Okay. So you got to strip down the camera to as small as possible. Mm -hmm. You got to scout that location as much as you can Mm -hmm. different times of the day or at the time of day when you want to shoot. Um, so you have to have a really, I mean, you have to have a great understanding of, of what the scenario is in that location, right? If you're in the middle of the desert, fine. Mm But if you're trying to shoot downtown, What's it look like? You know, are there cops around? Like, if you try and walk in and start <laughs> like in Central Station, <laughs> it's like a heist. <laughs> it's like <laughs> a heist. Seriously, you got to case the joint. You're casing the joint. You got to case the joint. <laughs> right. um, and and uh, I mean, an example of this, right? Is uh, is the the scene in Layover where they're they're looking out over the city? They're sitting on the lookout.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that was shot at the lookout over Mulholland
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, because that was the best point of view. Mm-hmm. Now, what I knew was I knew a couple things from having gone up there all the a couple of days mm-hmm. and scouting. I knew that it was the last location on the park police route for when they closed down the park. <laughs> I knew that the sun set about eight o'clock mm-hmm. and they didn't close it until about 1030. Mm-hmm. So I knew I'd probably have about an hour, hour and a half to shoot the scene, mm-hmm. meaning I needed all the blue out of the sky,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, so like I'd have an hour, an hour and a half. I also knew that people were up there all the time mm-hmm. and they were taking pictures and they were talking and they were all that stuff. So, what that led me to conclude was I knew I could pull this off. Mm-hmm. I knew that the way I had to do it was I could only shoot their backs. I couldn't shoot any of the actual performance because mm-hmm. I'd have talking and flash bulbs and all this stuff going off. Mm-hmm. And I'd have probably an hour to get it done. So, that gave me a couple takes. And so, I was able to go up there and, and shoot that because I had a very clear understanding of. of Of what the location situation would be when I got there. Right. right. So like when you're shooting gorilla, no permits, you just gotta have a really great it's funny, you've gotta case the joint. You gotta have a great understanding of like what the situation is going into it, especially if you're if you're spending money to do it, meaning you gotta rent a camera and you gotta do whatever and you're paying actors and you're actually spending money to like get out there. Um so that's also important. And I think it's it's also in the design of the film, which is which is don't try to do it with scenes that are six pages of dialogue. <laughs> right. You know,
1: right. you gotta
2: go. You gotta go back to the, the French New Wave. So, so, no, so yeah, no,
1: no, no Sorkin, no Sorkin walk and talk. No, so,
2: no Sorkin walk and talk. Unless <laughs> you're going to do long lens. You know, when and you're in a car.
3: Uh-huh. You know,
2: trying to like shoot out onto the square and and, and you the get What you get, yeah, yeah. across the street. Right. Um, no, you need to. You need to. You know, plan the scene so that you're not having to do takes. You're not having to do performance like the chase scene that we did. I I never went back and shot the same area twice. Like Mm -hmm. I'd get one shot of this section, one shot of this section, one shot of this section. And we just kept moving, Mm -hmm. you know, just kept moving through it. And I knew I would cut it up, you know, and I knew at the, at the least I had a quick little sequence, you know, that I could, cut. I had something that I could cut up. Mm -hmm. Um, Same with layover in the club. You know, we went into a club scene where we had permission to be in the club, but we had no permission to turn music off. We had no permission to (laughs) change the lights. We didn't have permission to do anything. So, I knew that would that would be the case, so I wrote a scene that didn't require performance and didn't require takes. Um, so reserve those things, those scenes, you know, the scenes where you're doing public stuff. Try and just limit what you have to accomplish, and then really know how you're going to accomplish it in a way that's not going to require you to do tons of coverage, multiple takes, those things that are continue continuing to draw your, draw attention to um, your scene. Also, another tip is. Don't have that like non-permitted location be the only possible place that you can shoot that scene. Right. Right. So, like in, in layover, like or in negative, we have the parking garage, you know, which they mm-hmm. go to to get the car.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I really love that parking garage because of the view of downtown LA, and really wanted to use that one. But
1: it could have been any parking garage. Sure. Right? So no. So because no shootouts. Like, so no shootouts at Union Station.
2: Exactly. No shootouts <laughs> at Union Station. Do not have your characters even carry fake weapons Union Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, you know, but the funny part is so like for, you know, and then you and then you got to kind of this is actually well, I'll get into this after I finish the tips. But mm-hmm. basically, it's like, you know, just don't don't have the location, the, the physical location, meaning like the specific location, be dependent, be the only place to shoot that, mm-hmm. you know, have options, because if you get kicked out of one, you don't want your entire movie or your entire scene dependent on on it being that specific place right you know so it's to me the biggest secret to like non-permitted guerrilla shooting it's all in the design of your script and your story you know it has very little to do with like production i mean because you're just taking a camera out and hoping you get what you get but you need to be in a position where you can shoot a scene that is just getting what you get and that comes from how do you design the script to right. be able to take advantage of that stuff.
1: Yeah, it's the mariachi style of doing things. Like, you know, what what yeah. you have access to? Or what do you know you can control and ride right. around it?
2: Right, exactly. Like the car, for example, in, the, in our film, like, you know, it, it's a Volvo station wagon. Why mm-hmm. is it a Volvo station wagon? Because I own a Volvo station wagon. <laughs> you know, like that's why it was. And I, I was just like, oh, well, Kati is like Swedish. She'll be a fun nod to that. And, like, <laughs> it, it just feels like an odd choice. And I'm going to go with it because it'll play in the movie as like an odd choice. It's just kind of funny, You know, that it's like a, a very specific car, um, you know, but it's one of those things where it's like it's certainly using what you have, because if you own the camera, if you own the car, if you own the actors, so to speak, like mm. you can go shoot whenever you want. We did we did car scenes just on a whim. You know, we'd be like, Hey, what do you guys doing Thursday? You wanna go up and get this, you know, scene eighteen, it's a car scene? They're like, Yeah, sure. You know, and that's what allowed us to really go out and get that stuff without feeling constrained by schedule. Right. You know, and then and then we owned the drone. Like part of our budget was we just bought an Inspire one drone and that gave us the freedom to take that out and shoot whenever we needed to yeah, go shoot. The, it.
1: the drone shots really add a tremendous amount of production value.
2: Thank you. Yeah, that was I mean, that, again, key, right? Like your big helicopter shots
1: mm-hmm.
2: with these drones. Now you can really take advantage of it. And it's, it's just being
1: really they, smart with how you use it. And the quality of the image was really good.
2: Yeah, it's great. I mean, and it was the standard, you know, a couple of them, we ended up having that micro four thirds camera because Santiago Salviche, who plays one of the hitmen in
3: mm-hmm. the movie, mm-hmm.
2: um, he's also a filmmaker in his own right. And he mm-hmm. has a whole production company and he's like a, he's like an actually drone pilot. So he did. He did a number of the shots in there in the film, and then I also did some of my own with the, with our own drum.
1: So the, it seems that the the key to this is not to be afraid of dogma and not to be afraid of, of of just trying to break the mold because people are so caught up with the way they teach things in film school that you have to do it this way, this way, this way, this way. And I re- I remember when I told people that I was going to do uh, my movie the people in the industry, they just look at you like, what? <laughs>
0: like, right. They, yeah. right.
1: I'm sure I'm sure you get that dog and headlights or that deer and headlights look all the time. Just like, what? You did like well, they don't get it.
2: Well it's funny because like I've had meetings where people have seen negative and then they go, We you know, really you know, we'd love to do something like negative, but like you know, obviously we have like protocols and you know stuff that we, we can't just like go do it the way you did it. I'm like, Why? get the permits. Like I don't care. Like, if you guys need to protect yourselves, get the permits. I didn't get permits because I didn't have the money. Right. You know what I mean? Like, pay for permits. Like, I have no problem with that. Like, get location agreements. Do it all legal. I have no problem. With yeah, you're not that, against where, doing it like that. Right, He's that's just where the your money. budget's going to go. You know, what I'm trying to find out, figure out in my own head as I, because the other thing, too, right, like, is how do you scale up this model? And it's not necessarily possible, you know, to suddenly shoot for six months on and off, although that's pretty much, like, what Mission Impossible does, mm-hmm. um, But it's it's that kind of thing where how do you scale it up? And what I'm less looking at, I'm looking at more is how do I bring this style and this approach to scenes where I do have closed sets, scenes where I do have extras walking around, scenes where I do have control, Mm -hmm. and yet create a feeling of not having had control because that really speaks to me Mm -hmm. um, in a unique way. But it also puts me in a position where I can always go and make a movie if I can get $100,000 together.
1: Right. Or if you you, know, and that
2: that's what I've always wanted to protect. I never wanted to be really beholden to anybody else in order to go make a film, mm -hmm. you know, because that's your key. That's how you get. That's how you move forward. You're always waiting on somebody else. Then you're always in a position. You're never in a position of power.
1: Now, when. Um, okay. so anyway. No, no. So like so after layover, you know, you've got your agents, at CAA uh, and you, you got a couple other jobs. How are you, you know, how, can you just kind of walk through the kind of blueprint of how your career has progressed from making a $6,000 movie up into where you are right now? Just so people understand listening, they're like, this is, you know, it's not going to be for everybody, but at least people can get an idea of like where you could go by just getting out and doing something. <laughs> Yeah, uh,
2: you know, it's been a challenging path because I made layover Mm -hmm. and a lot of goodwill came out of layover and I got a lot of meetings and a lot of, uh, you know, again, like negative came out of layover. The person, the exec at at Mar Vista had seen layover and wanted to make something with me, you Mm -hmm. know, but it took took two years before I had that project. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I then I got I got hired to do this series for South Beach series called South Beach on Hulu, Mm -hmm. which was like, again, like. Million dollar budget, you know. Like, I spent seven months in Miami. You know, I got paid like way more than the entire budget of layover. You know, to (laughs) like go and direct this thing, and it was, um, you know, I put a lot into it, and I, I I certainly made some mistakes from my point of view in terms of some choices I made, Mm -hmm. Um, stylistically, that I feel it would have let me, it would have made me feel better about the outcome of the project. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I put my heart and soul into it and put a lot of work into it. I I sort of in the same time saw sort of the limitations of of the approach that we were taking. Um not having control over the writing, not being a producer on it, not having, you know, a sort of a say in how the money gets right. spent.
1: You're a hired hand.
2: Um hired hand, right. total hired hand. But it's a job. And I went into it going, great, like it's gonna be on a it's gonna be on a major digital network you know, it's going to have promotion behind it. Like it's going to get out there. This is exciting. This is cool.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And then it gets finished and comes out and you know, there's a regime change at Hulu. (laughs) So they're not paying They don't care about your project anymore. They're not promoting it. Mm -hmm. The guy that, you know, fun sort of produced it at dolphin entertainment. Like he's already made his money. So he doesn't want to put more money into it to like promote it. Mm -hmm. And it basically dies. I mean, literally it's like a black hole. I mean, nobody has heard of this show. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, for me, a bit of a blessing in disguise because I'm really happy with my own work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a, in a, in a way, weird way, I've been able to fail without it having any kind of like impact, impact on me. Right. Um, but it was really disappointing to sort of see it – see nothing come of it and feel like I was no further along in my career than I was before I had made it. Except I had a little bit of money in my pocket, which didn't feel worth it. Um, which is easy to say when you have a little bit of money in your pocket, but like from an artistic point of view, it was it was a bit soul crushing, and it really it ended up sending me on a journey of, of introspection and and meditation mm-hmm. on my career and what I wanted to be doing and mm-hmm. and you know what does success mean to me um, you know and and I basically then the following later that year that was. June 2015 when it came out. Later that year, I got hired to do another sort of digital film called Be Somebody, which would be my second feature, and again a job, you know. um, And uh, took it because I, you know, to be frank, I needed money. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, did the best I could with it. I mean, I, you know, I'm not phoning these in. I'm really trying to give myself to them and spend a lot of time rewriting it. But again, it did just. Even though it got released by Paramount, it was one of those movies creatively where I feel like it was not set up for success.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know? Um, it, it just wasn't online in line. It was more about getting it done.
3: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, I had twelve days to shoot the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, working with severe limitations and kind of started to really go like, Is this what I want to be doing? Is this is, what's the point of this? Mm-hmm. You know, like these things where you're just churning it out and there's no real artistic nature behind it. And, there's there not well not that they didn't want that, but they weren't willing to provide the resources and the time to really do it. Mm-hmm. You know? And um and and then, you know, and that really led me to doing negative. And negative now, you know, it's interesting. I finished negative last year in June. And so it's been now more than a year waiting for it to come out. It still hasn't come um, out. Um still hasn't come out. It comes out September nineteenth. Okay. So it gets released on digital H D and on demand and Mm-hmm. the whole digital package. Netflix will come later. But okay. um, yeah, it's available September 19th. So it's finally out. Mm-hmm. So my hope is, what does this turn into? But a lot of last year has been, you know, um, sort of development on some digital series, you know, working with CA to sort of figure out the next feature, figure out the next thing, me writing, I wrote a feature that we've taken out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm adapting a new, I'm adapting a graphic novel now. Um, you know, and a lot of it has been me sort of stepping back from the sort of um self-imposed pressure to produce
3: mm-hmm. um
2: that I felt over the last couple of years. I'm a guy who loves being on set. Mm-hmm. I love shooting. Mm-hmm. And I feel when I'm not shooting that I'm not doing anything
3: <laughs> and
2: I get itchy and I get unhappy and I get frustrated and I just want to go, go, go. And I think that. That leads me to places of, of of working on things that aren't quite ready to be go, go, go. Got it. You know, it's a quality issue now for me.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so what I'm trying to really do is now step back, find other sources of, of income, so I'm not beholden to just taking jobs to take them because mm-hmm. I need the cash.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And really thinking and working hard on those projects that I really want to be doing. Like, what are those things that um, really speak to me? Right. And maybe it means taking more time and taking more, you know, and slowing things down and really finding those, those projects and those stories that I want to tell. And meanwhile, by removing the income question, I don't feel pressured to just take whatever comes at me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because I think I've done that twice now. And it feels like it's not panning out the way that it should have, right? Like, you gotta go, okay, I'll take this for the money, but it's gonna launch me. Oh,
1: you God, know? I, I mean, made that I mistake mean, too many times.
2: Yeah, I mean, and in theory, like, Be Somebody got me my agents at the CAA. So, like, mm. that something did come of that. And I got to say, you know, my movie was released by Paramount, mm. but it was a movie designed for a very specific audience of, like, you know, teen girls. Sure. And they, they love it, but it's not something where I'm, like, spreading, you know, sharing that around, going, like, let me make your next thriller. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> It's outside so the brand. Was all, yeah, so <laughs> negative was also a course correct. Negative was me going, okay, I mean layover, which is not a thriller. I mean South Beach, which has thriller elements, it's not a thriller. I mean mm-hmm. be somebody, not a thriller. Yeah. I want to be making thrillers and action movies and mm-hmm. like, you know, dramas. And so, you know, negative was a course correct in that way too. Again, stepping down the ladder in order to make the thing that I really want to make because nobody else is offering up that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And sort of proving that I could do action, that I could do fight scenes, that I could do – you know, things like that, that I hadn't really done before. Um, and not only that, but do it for a buck. And so now, you know, so, so layover making these movies has led to other things. And and I can't say that it works again, the path isn't for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is something where the fact is that with this industry, um, it's about what are you producing?
3: It's always about what are you
2: producing? What's your, what's your output?
3: Mm -hmm. and
2: you just got to keep doing it and i think the best thing to be doing is to remove the pressure of hollywood to begin with you know don't Mm -hmm. worry about hollywood don't worry about all that stuff just be making it you know and see it's easy to say that when you're not working five nine to five and you're not struggling and you're not trying to get your career going Mm -hmm. um but i've been there certainly so i Mm -hmm. totally understand it in fact i'm not that far away from it Mm -hmm. and um (laughs) You know, you're just not going to – you've got to really take the time to think about the quality of the stuff you're doing. And are you doing something that's really going to stand out? There's so much content being made nowadays that you really – it's really hard to be in the middle,
1: Mm -hmm. you know?
2: And um, yeah, so that's kind of a long diagram on that (laughs) one.
1: Not a problem at all. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you a few more questions. Uh, A couple of these I asked you last time, so I'm going to – a couple new ones for you. Um, What advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today? now that you've moved along another year or so since last we spoke.
2: It might be the same thing I said last time. I don't remember, but I, I think like you got to make a feature.
3: <laughs> yes. I, I, th- <laughs> I, I just
2: think that unless, listen, you can go away and make those like five minute proof of concept shorts,
1: uh-huh. but very
2: rarely are you getting to then make the feature,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: Like how mm-hmm. many of those have come out? How many of those have gotten guys? Signed? Lottery, lottery ticket, that, lottery ticket. It's a lot. It's a lottery ticket. Like you are far better off putting your time and energy into a feature, even if it's a low budget one, than you are making shorts or anything like that. Now, don't make a feature if you're not ready, right? Like have the experience, make some shorts, get that get your feet wet. like mm-hmm. have an understanding of like how not to cross the line, like the <laughs> basics of it, right? But you're really really making that first feature, even if it's a low budget one, even if it's made for six thousand dollars. It's going to put you into that club that you know is somewhat exclusive of somebody that's made a feature film. And if it's if it's somewhat good, then somebody might ask you to make another one. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't be waiting on that. You should make a feature. You should be thinking about how to, one, how to make another 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 one for ten grand, how to make another one for twenty grand, how to make another one for fifty grand.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, um, it's it's keep producing. You know, and if it's not that, then be putting stuff up on YouTube. Right. You know, just keep keep making things, and um, but I think that I made what I thought were some really good shorts and really some high value, you know, high production value shorts, and they didn't give me anything like Layover got me,
1: right? You know, and Layover was um, and not an action movie by by any stretch. Non an action movie, it's not even in English. <laughs> right? You're
0: you really, know?
1: you really went against the grain of that one,
0: but it yeah. worked for
1: you. Um.
2: The other thing I would say is that I think you got to – whatever you make, it's got to stand out. It's got to be almost so batshit crazy that people can't not watch it.
1: No, uh, uh, you, man, you, you're you preaching to the choir, man. I completely and totally agree with you. It's It's so difficult for anyone to get anyone's attention nowadays. Uh, yeah. you know, because you can't compete with Hollywood. You're not going to have $150 million PNA budget to get your movie yeah. out there. So you've got to do something different and that I takes mean, balls.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's funny because when I had talks with layover mm-hmm. or sorry, talks with Mar Vista, uh, sort of about the promotion of the film, I was like, listen, I'm like, have you guys sold it all? Like, have you sold it to everywhere you can sell it? And they were like, well, why? And I'm like, well, I kind of think we need to be able to talk about the budget. Because, you know, originally it's like the whole idea of like, if you haven't sold your movie, you don't really want to talk about the budget because mm-hmm. you don't want somebody to undercut, you know, come in and go, oh, you made it for a hundred grand. Great. We'll give you 50. Right. You know, right, like, right. cause you're underselling yourself. If they assume you made it for a million, then they're, you know, even though you made it for a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. then they might give you a hot 500,000 Then you made a mm-hmm. $400,000 mm-hmm. profit. Mm-hmm. So I was like, can we sort of talk about this? Because I think the movie changes for people when they know how much was spent. Sure. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to undercut the movie but i you know i think if you assume it's a two million dollar movie you're kind of like all right i guess you know what i mean right like you've seen it like Mm -hmm. but i think if you know it was made for say under five or you know that the budget was a hundred thousand dollars like it changes your perception of that film Mm -hmm. and i think that's important you know for me for people understanding it because i want i want people to be able to watch it not only just to enjoy it Mm -hmm. and i hopefully i made a great movie um, but at the same time, I also want it to be a bit of a like lesson for people to be able to watch it and say, okay, that's what a $100,000 movie could look like,
1: right? Right. That's a good, a very good point. Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career?
3: Ooh. Um,
2: let's see. Well, okay. I'll give you the career one.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So – I read a book called, I might've already said this. I'm trying to remember. I read a book called the Obstacle Is the way Mm
3: -hmm. by Ryan holiday. Mm -hmm.
2: And it, it really delves into sort of the principles of stoic philosophy. Yep. And, um, which has been over the last couple of years, basically pretty much since after South beach came out and died Mm -hmm. on the vine, um, has been a, a, a very serious pursuit of mine in terms of like coming to understand a different way of looking at the world, different way of looking at success. And the, the, Basic tenet of you know what is up to us and what is not up to us, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's radically transformed sort of my mindset and my perception of of Hollywood and my own work and where I'm putting my time and and how I'm valuing myself versus others and how I'm defining success. Um, that it's really sort of opened up a whole other world for um, you know in terms of my my approach to my career. Um, that has also made me much more relaxed about it.
1: right um takes time to get that it takes time to get relaxed
2: (laughs) yeah i mean frankly anything by ryan holiday is fantastic he wrote a great new book that just came out called perennial seller which is about why do why does a movie like shawshank redemption stick around you know 25 years later after it was made versus Mm -hmm. other things that just go kind of show up and go away and and um he's got another book called ego is the end i'm I'm a huge fan of his writing to begin with but like Mm -hmm. that book the obstacle is the way kind of really transformed um you know, sort of my approach to my career.
1: Yeah, Tim. Ferr- I'm assuming you know who Tim Ferriss is. Yep. Yeah, yeah he's big a vi- fan. big. Yeah, he's a uh, he's very big into Stoic philosophy.
2: Yeah. Yep. He is, and uh and is uh, knows Ryan really well. Like Ryan's always on his podcast and talking talking about stuff with them.
1: It was called Obstacles on the Way. Uh, obstacle is the, the way.
2: The the obstacle is the way.
1: Yeah. It's very true.
2: <laughs> it is. It is, and it's um. it's it's just a great sort of starter for for anybody looking to get into sort of the principles of stoic philosophy and and um how it can sort of relate you know because i think stoic stoicism has a a sort of bad connotation Mm -hmm, but it's mm -hmm. not it's not that at all and it's a really unique way of sort of like again like going back to hollywood like you're in la you're like surrounded by billboards of people's movies and Mm -hmm. you know friends that are having success and you're having all this stuff and Frankly, all that's out of your control. And if you're gonna focus on all the things out of your control, you're just gonna drive yourself nuts. Mm, you know, which and, most people do. <laughs> most people do. And frankly I did too. You yeah. know, I mean it's 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 a very hard thing to fight against when you're you're constantly surrounded by it, you know? Like and um, so it's been a really sort of philosophical change in, in who I am and led to me making some big changes in my life, like moving away from LA and mm-hmm. moving to some property in New York state and sort of having a much more calming presence and, you know, just focusing on my career in a different way.
1: And do you, do you, would you agree in the statement that generally speaking, when you are the most afraid of doing something, it's the, it's the direction you should be going.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, it's because, but less so like, that's a great marker. It's a great marker because I know it's going to be a challenge. Right that's what it is. Right. Like I, I know that it, I knew lay, I knew negative was going to be a challenge.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, um, there's other things where I'm like, this is going to be easy. Like I'll just show up and it'll be easy. Um, that's what I'm always looking for as a challenge because, uh, that's where you get your best ideas. That's where you're focused so intently on it that, you know, you're so zoned into it mm-hmm. that, um, that's where you get your best stuff. So, you know, Absolutely. I think that if, if if it scares you, that means it's going to be challenging, which means it's going to be good for you.
1: Absolutely. Now, where can people find you online?
2: So the best thing is Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my handle is uh, at Joshua underscore Caldwell, C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L. Mm-hmm. Um, you can branch out from there and uh, find all my other places. Um, and uh, yeah, and the negative is, like I said, it's being released on digital HD iTunes Amazon all that stuff um and all on demand uh networks on wow. September 19th
1: Man thank you so much for coming back on the show man you're one of the rare uh guests that I've invited back There's only been a ah, I appreciate uh, on, oh, it. I think only two or three out of 181 podcasts so far You, you know, have,
2: know why because all your guests go from like the indie mentality and they all become huge big guys and right. unreachable
1: Exa- Exactly exactly I'm,
2: I'm, and I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: or they're or they're huge big guys to begin with, <laughs> right? Exactly. exactly.
2: <laughs> no, but I, I uh, appreciate no, you I, coming. I, mean, back. I love I, I love talking shop, so it's always a pleasure to come on with somebody that that gets that uh, approach and that mentality.
1: Thank you again, Josh, so much for being on the show. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. As promised, that was a fairly epic podcast uh, and a, and a po- episode. And I want to thank Joshua again for being on the uh, the show and explaining. How you you know don't forget your roots of where you're coming from, even though you might have a bigger budget, doesn't mean you have to think like a bigger budget film because you will get more out of not thinking that way. So if you take a $6,000 film mentality and put it into a $100,000 budget, you're able to get a spy thriller action movie that looks insane and has high production value because you're able to go out and do things that you just wouldn't be able to do if you went down the mentality of trying to make a half a million dollar movie for $100,000. You know, the film Swingers, which is a very famous independent film uh, starring John Favreau and directed by Doug Doug Lehman, is a a perfect example. They had, I think, $100,000, $150,000, and they said, why are we going to try to make a movie that we have a budget of $150,000 to make a movie, and we're going to try to make a million-dollar movie with that budget and make it look like a million-dollar movie? Why don't we take that $150,000 and make it look and try to make a $25,000 movie look insane and go down as opposed to trying to go up and you'll be able to get more out of it and that's what they did and it was you know it did fairly well uh in its day as well so just go down this mentality guys i think it'll be very very helpful to you in your filmmaking journey now this is episode 199 and next episode is number 200 which is going to be a special episode i'm going to be giving you a little teaser About that episode is how you can sell your movie using Facebook ads. We're going to talk to a Facebook ninja and we're going to go deep down the rabbit hole on how filmmakers can use Facebook to market their films themselves, their projects, and how to do it affordably, and how to do it right, and and, and how to use the most powerful marketing tool on the planet. That is going to be the big episode 200 because I wanted to do something really cool and exciting for you guys and something I know people will go back to and check out episode 200. And this was, uh, I just felt so important that filmmakers understand this process and learn what Facebook and, and what marketing they can do on social media to help to get their message out. So Stay tuned for that. It should be coming out this week. I'm working on them as we speak. And if you want links to anything we spoke about in this episode, just head over to our show notes at indiefilmhustle.com forward slash 199. And guys, if you have not had a chance to go and leave a review for the show on iTunes, please take two minutes, go to iTunes, and leave us a good review. It really helps us in... The rankings, getting more people to listen to us, and and getting the message out on what we're trying to do at Indie Film Hustle, and the movement that I'm trying to create and the tribe is helping us create. So just head over to filmmakingpodcast.com and leave us a good review. It means so, so much to me, man. I really appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening. I hope this episode was of value to you. And as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive, and I'll talk to you in episode 200. Thanks for
0: listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today?